All right, welcome back, No Problem Parents. In today's episode, I am super thrilled. I'm so excited to have Mike Stevenson here. He's an award-winning entrepreneur with a remarkable journey from homelessness to success. Our conversation today includes the power of language in parenting, the cultural impact of motivation, and the role of creativity in education. Mike is gonna share personal anecdotes, offering profound insights into resilience, communication, and the transformative journey from hardship to triumph. Mike's story is a true testament to the extraordinary possibilities that emerge from challenging beginnings. And we're gonna close our conversation with Mike sharing five key lessons learned from parental rejection and homelessness. These same five keys can be found in his book, Let's Reimagine the World Together. Soft power is the new hard edge. You're gonna learn valuable parenting insights listen in to his story, which again is absolutely amazing. And I hope that this episode is really a beacon of hope, emphasizing that even in the face of adversity, we can rise above. Welcome to the No Problem Parenting Podcast. From toddler tantrums to teenage eye rolls, this podcast is your go-to for updated and old school tips and tools that are going to help you become the confident leader your kids crave you to be. Do you ever wish there was a specific manual that came with each one of your kids? I mean, what works for one often doesn't work for the other, right? And let's face it, we don't know what we don't know. And even if there was a manual, it probably wouldn't be able to keep up with all the changes in our world. Well, this podcast is the next best thing. I'm your host, Jackie Finneman, a 30-year counselor turned parenting coach, and I've got a lot to share, including hundreds of resources that you have access to right from your home and strategies that are going to boost your confidence and energize you. So whether you're knee deep in diapers or navigating the tween years, or you're launching your child into adulthood, subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, teachers, and daycare providers. We're going to turn your parenting problems into no problem, one episode at a time. And today's podcast sponsor is Dr. JJ Kelly at drjjkelly.com and her Get Real program, an emotional skills training program based on dialectical behavioral therapy. If you have a teen or young adult experiencing ongoing conflicts in relationships, intense and rapid mood changes, the inability to relax, trouble recognizing choice, holding in your anger and then blowing up at others, or numbing out in response to fear, Dr. JJ Kelly's Get Real program is going to help. So go to drjjkelly.com for more information. And thanks again, Dr. JJ, for being a sponsor of the No Problem Parenting Podcast. Mike, I am so excited to have this opportunity to meet you. I have been following you, learning from your story, and I'm just very grateful that you're here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And I'm delighted to be here. And similarly, I've been watching your progress as well. So we've been stalking each other. Unbeknownst. Yeah either of us which is really <laughs> exciting yeah yes yes and so we finally get this opportunity to meet and um, I think one of the biggest reasons I would I was excited to have you on the show is you talk about the power of words and language and how important that is for us as parents and how we're speaking to our children So I would like to start off a little bit with the power of those words as you experienced in your young childhood. We'd moved about a bit, as you probably gather from the book, early. And I've got no real kind of knowledge of this. But 
When I was born, a telegram was sent to my mother's father in Egypt, and she loved her father, and he died with it on his chest. Telegram announcing my birth. And I can't imagine what my mother went through in the very early days of my life. So I imagine there was trauma, great trauma. And that might have affected me from a very early age. But I, I found moving about, you know, not being able to settle anywhere and you know, having to make new friends, I found that really difficult. Schools, I went to kindergarten in Pakistan, in Lahore. Then I was in a, a primary school in Edinburgh and everything's grey and austere and, and, and cold. So that, without explanation or guidance, you're just taken from one environment to another and they're so challenging. And, and then moved again to a school in a town near Edinburgh at the age of 10. And I had a very bullying teacher who, who was six foot, Seven. Imagine, you know, I was small and he was a teacher who was six foot seven who used to hate me. I don't know why. Um, banged my head against the blackboard and all kinds of things went wrong. Then I was moved to another school, which I actually liked. Then I went into secondary school and schooling was just wrong for me. I was ill-fitting for the classroom from day one. Mm. Um, maybe I'd have been... Uh, Diagnosed as having ADHD, I don't know. It didn't exist as a condition then. But I was distracted. I couldn't concentrate. I learned nothing. But outside school, I was beginning to develop my personality. I was singing in a band. And, you know, my confidence soared on stage. So um, then when I went to the classroom, it was just the same monotonous system drone voices. And it didn't suit me. You've got to feel that you're significant, that you're wanted, that you're liked, that you are in a community that's protective, that's ambitious for you, um, that wants you to feel safe and wants to rejoice in you. But none of that was there. So I, you know, I was I was asked to leave school. Well, I was told to leave school and, you know, my parents were splitting up. That was horrible. And so life spiraled and I went down to London and that's when I ended up sleeping out. For my listeners who haven't read your book yet, which I'm going to highly recommend everybody go out and get get your book. Let's reimagine the world together. They don't know yet that you ended up on the streets as a young boy. I was 16. Because at that stage, when two parents are warring, then the child gets left out. Children are very sensitive to the tensions between parents. I mean, I noticed that they weren't sleeping in the same room uh, for years before that. So I noticed that. Maybe I knew that parents generally slept together. Mm -hmm. I had enough knowledge of that. Um, but it all went wrong and it had a horrible effect on me because, you know, the, the only thing that gave me comfort in my life up till then was being at home, being part of a family. And all of a sudden, even that was disappearing. So I went out to London and that's when things started to go wrong. She got a job, but I got the sack from the job. So I found myself sleeping out. That's how it started. And this unfortunately happens to thousands and thousands of children oh. every day that yeah. end up leaving home. They can't take it anymore. And 
and they go out and they're going to be independent and they get a job and then that doesn't work and then they find themselves on the streets. I had lots of things said to me, you know, you will never amount to anything, which I, I took with a pinch of salt. But of course it wounded me. Um, so you, you kind of carry this belief that you are not worthy of a place in the world. So I was quite happy with my lowly position on the streets of London. Does that make sense? Yeah. I felt quite comfortable there because no one had any expectations of me. I had control of my own destiny in a limited way, let me tell you. But I had this experience when a charity picked me up one night and took me into this hostel. And the first thing that happened to me, it was all very warm and embracing because I was taking a van and they were very helpful. It was a lovely woman speaking to me. When I got to this place, um, it was a kind of Disney-esque building, you know, with turrets. And I was shown into this tiled room and told to take my clothes off. Then I was hosed uh, because this is meant to be de-lousing. I didn't have lice. But the assumption was, you've been sleeping out, therefore you haven't washed yourself, you've got lice. I didn't. So I felt that small. And that's from someone that was trying to help me, an organisation that was trying to help me. So I learned that then that even helpful people can get it massively wrong. You're entering in a system where everyone's got a job and people are doing their job. You know, here's the form you've got to fill in. Have you asked me if I can fill a form in? If I feel comfortable with the form? Have you asked me my name? You know, simple things. And all I wanted was for someone to say, you know, what's your name? Uh, where have you come from? Even what are your dreams? The first person that asked me what my dreams were was a policeman when I was in a cell, <laughs> you know, for stealing. And uh, and he kind of changed my mindset that I had permission to have dreams. And when I mentioned my kind of, well, I want to do this and I want to do this, he says, no, they're not dreams. They're just next steps. Focus on where you want to be. And I talked about being a musician and one day going into business. I actually achieved both. But the policeman was my kickstart. So here was a charity which was meant to be helping me and a policeman who was meant to be giving a stern talking to as I was leaving the cell in the morning. And it was he that asked me what my dreams were. So it's all the wrong way around. So um, sleeping out was, in a way, the making of me because it made me realise either I could survive be that I could communicate, because you have to communicate. Sometimes you have to ask people for help and you have to be part of a community because you're there supporting each other. I learned a lot about communication. And I think I learned about leadership as well because there were some times when I was the assigned leader. This was my strength. I was the guy that could talk the hind legs of a donkey. <laughs> um, and other people were the, were the ones that could fight off any predators, you know. So we all had our leadership role and you looked out for each other and you were kind to each other and you formed a community. You did learn a lot. You know, sleeping out is an awakening. It's, uh, you do suffer violence. I got thrown down the stairs um, at a station and I ended up in the hospital and the nurses, they were kind and they were, they were supportive and one of them gave me a hug 
It was the first time I'd had for years. It reminded me of my mother. And so there were moments when I felt that the world was against me. And there were moments when I had this epiphany that the world was ahead of me and that it was my path to tread. And I had skills. I could play the guitar. I could sing. I could talk. I had a cheekiness about me that could turn tense situations into softer situations and reduce people to laughter. So I had a sense of humour. I didn't know that until I was sleeping out. And because they became very real world skills, it was very apparent to me that I had something. But how could I use that? That was to come later. It was the making of me. But I was lucky because I escaped from the streets. You need to feel valued. You need to feel significant. You need to feel you're needed, you're wanted. So I made my mind up that I wanted to lift people. And that's what I've tried to do. I've sometimes failed quite badly. But I do know that we do have a choice. And yet you look around and so many times people are putting people down, aren't they? I pride myself at being able to talk to a large audience and create a sense of unity and warmth. Yeah, that's your that's your God-given well, gift for sure. Yeah, and that, that's a skill. Uh, but it would not have come if I hadn't had very negative early experiences. Now, I don't, what I'm saying here is that parenting is really important. But if it goes wrong, it's not the end of the world. It can be recovered. But it takes a series of accidents and encounters and a strong will to do that. And the policeman was the one that said, you know, tell me what your dreams are. He would not let me leave the police station until I told him what my dreams were. That was that was one of the catalysts that you've had many. And and, and again, reading the book, it's you've had nine lives. You have so many experiences and examples. At some point while living on the street, you got a job as a construction worker. And I love that story about how you you were given a role. You were given a very important job. It was the foreman in the building site. Now, I've been working in the building trade, construction. And it was usually, you know, do this, do that, uh, finish it by this time, you know, just listen to my orders. And then I was assigned to this building site, and it was a wholly different experience. It was a, a big foreman with a soft hat and a broken nose, and he, he put his arms around me. And he said, welcome, Michael. And he showed me the, 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 the elevation of his building, and he said, this is the palace you're building. And it changed my life. That moment changed my life because I suddenly felt part of this bigger picture that I was a key part of this, um, you know, collective effort to build a palace that would rise into the London skyline and I would forever be associated with it. That was extraordinary. And then a few weeks later, because I was just a labourer at that stage. I wasn't a skilled person, but he... He made sure I learnt skills right across the, the, the construction site. And every day he would clap me in the back and he'd say, well done. Or, ah, I can show you how to do that a bit faster. He would never say better, faster, or save some energy on your back, you know, or save some strain on your back, all these things. And then one day he came to me and he, he gave me these keys and he said, Michael, will you do me a favour? Remember, I was young and I said, well, of course. And he said, will you open up the site in the morning? And I said, me? 
me open up the site? And he said, yes, I trust you. And when someone says they trust you, it is like being lifted about 30 foot in the air. Because no one had ever said that to me before. And you realise that when someone trusts you, you take that trust like a diamond or like a golden nugget. It's there. You've been trusted. It's a huge moment. And some people go through their whole life without ever being told that they're trusted. And it's such a fundamental skill of communication. You know, well done. I can show you how to do this a bit faster. Um, never you've made a mistake. I can show you to do this in a way that's different. Never I've stopped doing that. You'd been caught stealing. You were in fights. You had hard experiences and then you get on this job site and you're working there for a while and not feeling necessarily super skilled yet at it and then this guy says hey here's the keys i trust you yeah how did you really feel at that i thought what if i lose the keys what if i what if i sleep in tomorrow morning you know so there was a huge responsibility and i would never have let him down so i barely slept i mean i just i was so eager to make sure that i did it and I did yeah. it right. But it was a it was a breakthrough moment to be trusted with a responsibility at a young age. Um, and it was a big responsibility. There were lots of valuable materials there. You know, I could have run off. I could have, you know, said to guys, look, you want to get access to a building site with copper and lead and all, all this stuff. And they would have said, yeah, of course, mate. Right. I didn't do that. I would never have let them down. And that's what great leaders do. They They... They create a sense in you that you are an architect of something bigger. You're a key part, that you're not a bit part. You're a key part. And that there is a larger vision. And that larger vision, you're very much part of it. You're contributing to it. And there's no one less than anyone else. Because he said, if you don't mix the cement, the bricklayer won't be able to lay the bricks. It was this sense that everyone is essential to everyone else. And that if you take out one piece of this, then you lose something from this larger operation. And if people feel that they're an integral part, and that if they're not there, they're going to be missed, then you feel something entirely different. It's a different kind of energy. One of the things that I'm curious about is with your upbringing and the way things went, you could have easily kind of just given up or blamed others or made excuses or just caved and given in. And I do find, I I say this to parents all the time, children are very resilient. And so you say in the book that you don't describe yourself as having been a victim of circumstance or of anything else for that matter, because you don't regard yourself as such. You remain convinced that you've always been responsible for your own destiny albeit not always in control of it. And while your past is checkered with perhaps more lows than highs, you have no one other than yourself to blame for those low points. And this is just so key. Accepting responsibility became imperative for you when you recognized that only by doing so could you move forward. Yes, exactly. Um, You know, I could blame my parents. I could blame teachers. When you take responsibility, and don't blame others, then you can begin to build on that. It's very hard to build on being a victim. Count yourself as a victim 
you'll in a sense always be a victim. A victim is a mindset. And and listen, I've met so many people that go through their life a victim. Right. And, you know, the, the, the sense that they are not architects of their own actions. And they are. You talk about our parents want to protect us and for us to learn how to protect ourselves. But I think sometimes we end up as parents putting too much protection around our kids where we're not encouraging them yeah. to to oh. know their worth and their value and their gifts. I mean, look, the, the, the one thing I can attest to as a child and as a teenager is I had freedom, freedom to rule. And, you know, when my parents were getting more into their, their separation, they did anything we want. I do feel sorry for kids now. I mean, I read a startling statistic that long-term prisoners have spent more time outside than the average child does today. Mm. That's really sad. So the thing I've learned is that children need to feel a sense of freedom, that they can make choices, that every moment of their day is not determined by someone else, because your learning comes from exploring new territory and, you know, maybe getting, maybe falling when you're trying to climb a tree. There was a head teacher in London who, because all this safety stuff has got really neurotic. But this head teacher came in, she said, right, for your homework this weekend, I want you all to climb a tree and get someone to take a photograph of you doing it. Wow, that was brilliant. And she did really well. She turned that school around. Because that was her attitude. Children need to feel that they're they're achieving things. Yes. I think they need to be asked things. They need to be, what would you do if you were in my position? Yeah. Um, The one thing I learned with primary school children is don't break promises. Promise a child something. If you say, uh, we're going to the zoo at the weekend and you wake up with a hangover. Sorry, I'm not feeling very well today. Can we do it some other time? Well, a child has been looking forward to that moment all week. So suddenly to have this promise broken, unless the child can see a very good reason for it, then they would say, I understand, Daddy, or I understand, Mummy. Yeah, but don't break promises because that will be remembered. Don't say anything in anger that will never be forgotten. I remember... My father was trying to teach me to play chess with my brother, my younger brother. My younger brother was good at chess. He loved it. I probably had ADHD and I couldn't handle it. And I kept giving him my my queen. It was just, I was hopeless. I could not compute the chess moves at all in my head. So when I did it for the third time, my father went mad and he threw the chessboard in the air and he said, you're bloody useless, Michael. And I'll never forget that moment. Children never forget being called useless. Children will never be, forget being called stupid. And particularly when there's a kind of dramatic incident around it. The other thing I remember is getting a beating for something that I didn't do. Now, you learn about justice. You should learn about justice. And if you get the beating for someone else's act- actions then you get this early sense of the world is not treating me justly. I've I've had a beating for something that someone else did. 
I've had a promise broken. I've had a chessboard thrown in the air in a peak of anger because I wasn't very good at it. I don't have to be good at it. That was my dad's agenda. You know, it wasn't mine. That is so important. I think a lot of parents were putting our kids in sports and extracurriculars and and then we're living kind of vicariously through our kids, right? And they sometimes don't even want to do it or maybe they do, maybe they have an interest, but it seems like they can never be good enough. I want to talk about these five key things that are towards the end of your book that you have learned. Parents, let's keep these five things in mind as we're raising our kids. Number one is say precisely what I mean. Absolutely. No ambiguity. So don't speak with forked tongue. If you say something, don't leave any doubt about what you're saying, because if a child believes they can't answer back or can't ask questions, they will take a wrong message and they might get into trouble for it. Now, you've got to be really clear about what you're saying here. And children don't deal very well with dubiety. You know, when something is asked of them, you've got to speak very clearly and say, do you understand what I'm saying? So what are you going to do so you get them to repeat it? Yeah. Yeah. Good boy, good girl, that's brilliant. And it's getting an agreement. Uh, And, you know, we've had this at work and people have had an upbringing where that was in doubt. You know when they get an instruction at work and they don't understand it and they don't ask? Yeah. That's because they didn't ask their parent because the parent wouldn't have said, "Um, so you sound stupid. You sound as if you're slow on the uptake. No, you're not. You just didn't understand. Can you please... I'm sorry to ask, but can you explain that again? I didn't quite get it. Most leaders will say, I'm so glad you asked. Right. I sometimes do, you know, I talk fast, blah, 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 blah. And it's so glad that you asked me because you did the right thing. Yes, yes. And just clarify, you know, uh, parents will say, clean your room. Well, do they know what a clean room looks like or or what a clean room to you looks like? So let's be real specific what that means. Uh, The second one you say is ask how as well as why. Yeah, I think it's really important that we do why things. You know, we're going to do this because it's important. It's going to advance you, blah, 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 blah. It's going to make you a better person. Um, you're going to love it. It's going to take you, you know, another couple of notches up the ladder, blah, blah, blah. But also, don't leave any doubts. If they say, how am I going to do that? Then in a sense, you failed. You know, you might say, you can either work out how to do it, or I'll tell you how I would do it. Does that make sense? Ooh, that's really good. I love that. You can either work out how to do it, or I can tell you how I would do it. it. Yes. So it's not, you must do it my way. It's you've got a free will. That's so great. Okay. The next one is demonstrate faith in other people's efforts and abilities. Oh, look, this is, uh, absolutely. This is the, I trust you thing. If you put pressure on someone, you know, get this back to me by three o'clock. I would have done well. Gee, you're putting pressure on, you know, because you realize there are two ways to do it, well and badly. Um, it's really important to say, I trust you. And if you make a mistake, I'll still trust you. You'll just have learned something. And also, a young person came up to me, she was in tears, and she said, I've, I've had to spend two and a half thousand pounds to get something reprinted. I said, did anyone die in the process? She said, no, but I feel terrible. I said, well, don't worry about it. 
and thanks for telling me. Yeah. That was, you could see the, the, the relief in her body uh, just, she realized she could make mistakes. If we are demanding respect and demanding things to be done right the first time and we're and we're not allowing our kids to make mistakes and then make right those mistakes, uh, kids will learn real quick that they better not own up to their exactly. mistakes because they won't be forgiven and and they won't be accepted. Exactly. And the next one is be concise and don't generalize. And again, this this kind of goes with the first one, but it's like, you know, it can be super unfair to make a yeah, request yeah. of a kid that they, yeah, they yeah. don't really understand what the request is or the purpose of it. Oh, absolutely. And this happens a lot. You don't go down to the shop and get a... Blah, blah, blah. You say, what? What is a... I remember going to buy my mum a box of chocolates and I came back with a box of tampons. Oh! <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I just... Well, I was looking around at these boxes. They seem to be quite closer together, close together. And uh, I got a row for that. But I, I just didn't. I had little bars of chocolates, never boxes of chocolates. So um, it went all wrong and I got a row for it. But, you know, be be explicit. See, you know, um, try and give as much detail as you possibly can and be, you know, concise and precise. And say, do you understand that? Or are you happy with that? Or do you want me to just, you know, give you a bit more information? Yeah, yeah. Just clarifying, clarifying questions. That's super good. And then the last one you have on here is to be aware when saying nothing is better. Yes. And I do think silence is better than saying you damn fool. Or, you know, you sometimes words do damage when silence does favors and when i speak in front of an audience i will often pause quite a few seconds and you know the audience likes that because it gives them time to absorb so we don't need to be talking all the time sometimes you know nothing really is better it's better not to be told something that's going to upset you when no words at all would create a neutrality but often we just go that little bit further. See, and another thing, mm -hmm. we add on things and just stop. Stop. Do we have to keep talking? No. Um, you know, I, I think a cuddle is better than the words I love you because it's a demonstration. Mm -hmm. And when they come with the words I love you, they mean something. But kind of, I love you, you know, as a sort of afterthought, it's probably better not to make it sound as if it's it's a kind of call to action that you have to deliver every night. Do you know what I mean? Right, better I do. Go, better to go up and knock on the door and say, I forgot to tell you that I love you. Yeah, and I love that, a little hug. And I teach in, this in the pause when you've got a kiddo that's coming at you and they're angry and they're upset or they're being disrespectful. I say, put your hand on your heart and your hand on your stomach. Forces you to breathe, pushes yourself back a bit. And it gives you, it's just six seconds, really. You don't even time it. It's just naturally. And you, you just pause and you observe and just take in what is the child saying? Because it's most likely not anything about you. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't require a defensive response. And sometimes saying nothing is better. Sometimes words that we say actually have a an opposite effect. If you 
you know, I hear this all the time, you're in a safe space. Mm. Right? It makes them think, what, 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 why should I be safe? You know, is there a threat? You know, it's like, uh, if you say to someone, watch yourself when you're walking down those stairs, they're more likely to trip. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll draw attention to something mm-hmm. that doesn't need to draw attention to. If you've got a nice room and you say, welcome, come in, have a seat, would you like a cup of tea? That's far more than this is a safe space, as if it sounds like a horror movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. All of a sudden, our amygdala is going, wait, what? Yeah, why do you have to tell me it's safe? There must be something that... That's like, nothing's going to happen to you here. So good. If you could sum up all of this, uh, what is a message to, to help parents, empower parents to become that confident leader our kids crave us to be? Well, I think the first thing is consistency. Don't say... Wait till your father gets home tonight. We were brought up in a generation where men were meant to be feared and his poor fathers would come back and they'd be told that someone had done something wrong and they said, well, what do you want me to do about it? Hmm. I've told him that you're going to deal with it. Never leave anything hanging and be consistent. The people that I remember most that made me happy when I was a child, go for the strengths, not the weaknesses. Have Hmm. a sense of humour. And give your child's humorous descriptions, but never humiliate them. Because a child humiliated is a child damaged. It's as simple as that. And they will carry that. And I love that you're pointing that out. You know, use humor, but not at the expense of your child or your spouse. But also to not take ourselves so seriously. I mean, I, I think humor relieves the pressure. My dad said, Jackie, without a sense of humor, tough is hard to live. It is. It is. And and uh, Scotland's got a really good sense of humour. The city, Glasgow, uh, which has got a particularly good sense of humour. And it's a city with traditionally been impoverished and then it's had periods of industry and the industry's taken mm-hmm. away. That is where the humour lies. It lies mm-hmm. in people who live with hardship. They're the funniest people and they're storytellers because they tell story about stories about people that you just don't believe exist. Mm-hmm. But they do in those communities. And humour is a great lifter. Laughter is great, but not at the expense of your child, not at the expense of your wife, not at the expense of your husband. Do you know what I mean? It's got to be, humour has got to be self-deprecating. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. And and I encourage people to, to go out and get the book. Let's reimagine the world together. Soft power is the new hard edge. Love the book. I'm constantly watching your clips on YouTube and different speaking engagements. If someone were looking to hire you as a speaker, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Email me at mike at thinktastic.co.uk. And to learn more about you, they can go to mikestevenson.net or they can connect with you on LinkedIn. I'm going to have links in the show notes of this episode. I really appreciate you being with me today. Thanks so much, Mike. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm flattered. All right, that's it for today's episode of the No Problem Parenting Podcast. Hey, thanks guys for tuning in. If you found value in today's episode, click the subscribe button and share it with other parents who might need a little boost. 
Stay connected on our socials by following at No Problem Parents for more parenting tips and get your free download of the 60 ways to respond to your kids without losing your cool. Go to noproblemparents.com. Until next time, remember, your confidence comes from embracing both successes and setbacks. So take a deep breath, embrace the chaos, and remember, you got this.